Today, we're joined by Sena Ahmed. She's a personal brand experience consultant and a thought creator. If you come across Sena on LinkedIn or Twitter, you'll understand the unique edge she brings to the table. In this episode, we discuss the immense potential of becoming an online creator. And touching on the theme of this episode, we unpack how to unleash your inner monster, showing up as a person who has the guts to consciously stand out amidst a noisy world. I had so much fun talking with Santa. Keep listening to soak up some life-altering wisdom. Welcome to the Rising Digital Leaders Show. I am your host, Matthew Doan. Today's organizations are powered by digital capabilities, cloud, data science, cybersecurity, and much more. To be competitive, we must have tech-savvy leaders steering the ships. But these people don't come out of thin air. We must develop them. This show is for the technical experts of the world, those brave souls that feel unheard and lost in the crowd, but know they were born to lead. We need you to rise, to become impactful digital leaders. In these episodes, we help you undergo a self-transformation, developing the mindset and skill set that'll massively enhance your abilities, influence, and career potential. We take a different approach, pulling in lessons from philosophy, psychology, neuroscience, and history to enrich the professional and personal aspects of your life. Thank you for your time. Please subscribe to the Rising Digital Leaders Show. Now, let's dig in. Sana, welcome to the show. Hey, Matt. It is really great to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. I've been having a blast with you over the last year on LinkedIn, so I'm so eager to bring some of your wisdom out to a broader world. So let's have some fun conversation. The first thing I've got for you, let's go. So you talk a lot about monsters. I don't see a lot of people talking about monsters out there. So where did this come from and why should we all explore monsters? I have explored monsters for a little bit now, maybe over about five years. I've just been super interested in what monsters have to offer in terms of just excitement, uniqueness, uh, like the, the visceral feeling that you get from them. Most of where I started to lean towards it, just because I'm a marketer and I have a background in digital marketing, I've always looked at monsters as something that was interesting. They've never really ceased to make things interesting. Um, Now, I think as people, we want things, you know, nice, stable, uh, and we're not really looking to rock the boat too much because we have to go to work and we have to do a bunch of different things. have to take care of the kids, pick up our groceries, go to bed at a certain time. But monsters, I think, really come into our lives in ways where If we weren't looking to at monsters to give some interest to our lives, to bring some curiosity, to bring some truth to our lives, I don't think we would have that. And I think that, honestly, we could use a lot more of monsters. Not all kinds of monsters. I know they're all really, really scary, um, or some of them are really scary, but they, they give a lot of interest and curiosity into our lives. And that's why I want to talk about monsters, especially from media and marketing and how people can start to use and think about monsters in a way where it starts to click with their audiences. It starts to click with the customers that they're going for, because we all face monsters every day of our lives. And it's not just to make it 
you know, more curious or more interesting, sometimes we really face like really ugly ones. And so I think that we can come in and provide more safety, more assurance, more trust when we talk about this monster that we're both you and I are facing as as a team, as a as if you're a customer of mine, then we're facing a monster as a team. Does that make sense, Matt? Totally does. Not only is monster talk a scroll stopper, which it is, it's more importantly, I think, embracing the vulnerability and scaredness and just fears we have as humans, whether we are just putting our content out there as a person or as a business, the more that we can relate to people through monster talk, I think that's a way to cut through the noise, be vulnerable. But I also like the way you bring it, Senna, is you get to kind of unleash your monster. You get to be someone who comes out there with a full force and a braveness, a a level of courage that not a lot of other people are willing to do all the time. Yeah. And here's the part where I started to lean into monsters because I get this quite a bit. Like, why do you call yourself the monster? Because it's in my handle. I did it partly because I wanted to be interesting to my own self. But then as I started to do more research and I leaned into it a little bit more in cinema and the the academics that have really studied monster theory, I got excited with just how much breath I could probably go into with this. And there's so much with monsters that are related to authenticity, right? Most of us are trying to be a little bit unique. We're trying to have a little bit of edge. We're trying to get you know, gain our audiences right now. But at the same time, like, how do you do that when you feel like maybe everything you're posting is exactly the same as everybody else's? How do you have that unique spin to things? And I think if we look at monsters and we look at the ways that there are so many different kinds, then there is an ability to actually see ourselves as something of the sort. Like, there is an edge, there is a uniqueness about you Uh, And there's a monster in you. And if you befriend that monster, there's so much that can get unlocked in that space. So much authenticity and relatability and people can kind of lean into you. And that's exactly what happened with me. Uh, Once people got past like, okay, who is this girl calling herself a monster? Or who is this lady? And, you know, she's just half of her, her face is dark right now. Once people get past that and they realize the value that you're providing and the unique way that you're doing it, there's so much value in that alone. So I, I that's what I want to share with people when I talk about monsters is when you face yours, when you befriend yours, um, just a ton can unlock. Yeah. Befriend the monster. That's a beautiful way of putting it. It's a very unique way to say, go inside, get comfortable with, I think then unleash that monster with confidence on the world. So, Senna, I know you've got a lot that you're bringing to the world as far as branding and niche of one, which are topics we'll get to shortly. But just to put that in context, could you share a little bit of your backstory and where you are focused today? Sure, Matt. I, when I first started off in marketing about like 10 years ago, I was just trying to grow. I found it as a creative outlet for 
what used to be a very artistic, very creative natured person. I didn't also have the skills that would be really great for marketing, except for the fact that I was really interested in people. I liked people. I liked how they behaved. I liked how they thought. Consumer behavior was one of my favorite classes, and so was semiotics uh, as well In uh, when I was studying marketing communications. And as I've went through, you know, just job after job, and I've built skill after skill, I noticed that I was hitting a ceiling every time. And I think it was, you know, I was stuck in marketing administrative activities. I wasn't really leaning into the parts of marketing that interested in me. And I think that because of all of this background of feeling like I was like, where can I grow from here? I feel kind of caged up right now. And and I wasn't really moving to a place where I think that I could have I wasn't moving to a place where I think I could have like really given my my all in that place. You know, I was just doing a little bit here, a little bit there. So I decided to try to go into business for myself. I became a freelancer. I started getting contracts. But the same thing would happen um, at contract after contract. It would be just a little bit here, just a little bit there. And I never felt like my full breadth of talent and skill set was being used and so I wasn't very challenged, right? And so creatives, I feel like, uh, as, as well as bu business leaders, thinkers, you need a challenge in order to progress and to feel like you're progressing in, of some sort. You need to achieve something next. So I also started to consult and I slowly moved my business to a consulting model. And I was noticing that I carried those traits that I had from my freelancing contracts or my nine to fives. And it would feel like this constraint on me in my soul. And it was, it was just really boring day after day. If I, if I didn't have this new thing I was doing, if I didn't feel like I was challenged enough, then it would just feel like blah. Um, I also didn't really like talking to the same people day in and day out. I wanted to talk to new people. I wanted to meet with others. And so you can tell like this background of creativity and people orientedness was really speaking at that time. It was like screaming. And I didn't really know that that was me. I just was like, okay, why do I feel like crap all the time? Um, and then once I moved to a place of connecting with people online. I think this was really leaning in 2019, 2020 was a big year where I just decided, you know what, I'm going to join every creative community. I'm going to try to network with all the people that I can. And that really unlocked things for me because then I found pockets of people, right? Like it didn't have to be like, I do this one thing, like I'm going to join this community that's helping you grow a community, or I'm going to join this community that's going to help you build on LinkedIn, or I'm going to join this community. And it was like, I could join as many as I wanted to, and I could work on all the things that I wanted to. And I could then move all of that towards me. I directed that energy not to grow other people or to fight with other people so that they could believe my premise and hypothesis that would help them grow. I could just apply it. I could experiment on myself. And then I was like, whoa, I could just share these case studies with people. It doesn't have to be like permission based. That's the greatest part. And it was like, I don't have to ask for permission for any of this. I could try it. I could fail. I could get back up. 
and I can saddle back on the horse and I can keep riding. And that to me was feeling a level of freedom that I've never experienced in my career before for at least the 10 years of the portion. The last couple years has been the most freeing. And I'm on this ride right now where I'm like, okay, well, how much further can I go to feel more freer than I am right now? And in what context do I believe these things in? Like what, what really matters to me as in terms of my personal philosophy? Like how do I want to shape this? How do I want to grow this? And that to me is like enough creative constraints. Like having a personal philosophy is great because I have the constraints that I need to then direct that energy and direct that drive for freedom. And things started to unlock after that when I just decided to focus on myself and to focus on helping others grow by showing them how I've been doing it. So does that give you a really good backstory, Matt? Yeah, it's a beautiful picture there. And I contrast that, Senna, to a lot of our audience. So a lot of these folks are in the corporate realm. They might be 10, 12 years into their career and have reached a point where they've got mastery of their technical topic, whether it's in some technology field or otherwise, or marketing even. And they start to scratch and have this itch of wanting something more, and they don't know where to take it. They know they have all this other potential yet they're used to waiting for permission for reaching the next level, then extending themselves, growing new capability within themselves. What they don't do is, I think, undergo the path that you did. Instead of going out on their own and developing a personal philosophy, they wait for the next set of tasks to be handed to them. And it's very just disconcerting. It leaves people wanting. Those are the people I work with a lot. I would love if you could expound. You mentioned personal philosophy and how this drives you in your creative pursuits and in your actual business in helping companies and individuals. Can you give us a little bit more on what the personal philosophy means to you and maybe what others need to do as far as bringing their own to life? Sure. This is one of my loves. I really, really love personal philosophy and what it's been able to do for me. So I was talking about how I was confused on why I felt like crap, right, for a while. And it wasn't until I really looked at the pieces of my personal philosophy that actually started to unlock this decision making where I'm like, I'm going to shoot for what it is that I want. I'm going to uh, chase my freedom because that's what matters to me. Uh, so personal philosophy for just anybody who doesn't really know what this is. You kind of can understand from the context of the word, but a lot of people just don't really get it. So personal philosophy for you is your beliefs, your values, and your reasoning that you have for yourself, other people, and the world. So this in context for you, other people, and the world is what shapes your reality. And so you have beliefs you have values for that. You have, you have things that you value and that you have reasoning on top of that that shapes your reality. And so if you're wanting to shape a better reality for yourself, it is then the action and investment that you're cultivating a positive perception that can direct a really, you know, light shining, valuable energy that's already within you out there into the world. And one thing I think people get messed up with philosophy is that they think it's for 
you know, old people, they think it's for eccentric or book readers or really smart researchers, uh, just people who went to university for a really long time or have a Harvard degree or something like that, right? And I think that a lot of people should know that you do philosophy all the time. It's what you're always doing. I mean, this conversation is philosophical in a lot of ways. You're asking me questions to get to the truth and to understand. And you're contemplating and you listening right now, you're contemplating based on what I'm saying. Is this what you believe in as well? Do you find meaning in what I'm saying right now? Are, am I connecting with you? And that is when we use personal philosophy in a really, really fantastic way. So I think also one thing, just a really easy way to understand personal philosophy is that if you break down philosophy like into the word into the etymology so philos it's it's all it's all derived from greek so philos means love and sophia means wisdom so if you put that together it's the love of wisdom but then if you add personal philosophy to it it's just really the love of knowing who you are and so if you can really cultivate that core part of you this this love towards who you are, it starts to flourish in a lot of different ways and not just for personal branding, which is what I usually direct personal philosophy towards, but you can use this in your life and leadership with your family and your loved ones, with your spouse, with your kids. It's you teaching them what you think, what you believe in, what you value, and you instill that in other people. You encourage other people through what it is that you share and you sign people on, you enroll people into what it is that you believe in, the right people. The wrong people will lay at the wayside, they'll complain, they'll be trolls. But when you have a really strong core of who you are, you don't have to worry about all those other things. Decision-making becomes that much more simpler and easier because you don't have to spend a lot of time thinking, oh, what do I need to strategically do on how to do this? It's just like, what do I want and what do I believe in? And therefore, what's, what's the quickest way to get there what's the best way to get there and that's what a personal philosophy can do and i've been teaching it i've been thinking about it for the last 10 years without really knowing i've been defining it for the last 5 years and i've been sharing it with clients for the last 2 years and now uh recently i have been on the road for creating a course on it because i've been finding that so many people really resonate with needing to figure out what is their own personal philosophy and when they can figure it out, what does that unlock for them? And so I've been, uh, I've been teaching people in a, in a little test group in my, with some fans of mine and I really appreciate their time and thinking about it and looking over things because they're exploring the concepts and once they do and once I can figure out the kinks, I can then share it with more people and I'm really excited about doing that. Personal philosophy, it's something that I think almost everyone would say, yeah, I want that. But for the reasons you just laid out there, Sena, it's a really beautiful thing where you said the love of knowing who you are. And when you have that, you can get that compassion, that ability to have a filter for what you're doing day in and day out, the discussions you're having, the ideas and people that you're letting into your life. It's amazing. Just as you were describing it, I thought about over the last few years how I've transformed. Not to say that I've like codified this as a philosophy, but I would love to talk with you on how. But I feel as though my conversations with my family, with people I've met online, with coworkers have all centered on the same 
philosophical principles. I have this very freedom-focused mindset, the ability to understand your strengths, your own unique interests, and let that pull you forward towards the horizon. So I really gravitate towards what you're saying here, and I can see the value of people developing their own personal philosophies and letting that be that permissionless guide for what they're doing with their personal lives and their career. Absolutely. So one of the things that I've seen some really amazing people and they have large followings and or they have very strong families or they have uh, leadership positions, right? They hold really strong leadership positions in their communities. Usually they're maybe a coach, right, for a, a, a team or they're your, you know, local pastor or someone who is running a charity. But you know that these people constantly show up and you can rely on them to show up in the way that they do. And they also encourage other people and they share that. And you and you can tell that these people have something because they're living based upon principles. So if you can find your own, what would that mean to you if you could direct it depending on wherever it is that you are in your life? It doesn't have to be directed towards a charity or a little league little league team or it doesn't have to be in an office space or it could. But wherever you wanted to direct it, then you have that ability and you can take a little piece of what this wisdom is that you've seen from somebody else and you can cultivate that in your own self. And that starts to that starts to create really interesting things, really interesting communities that we can be a part of that helps the world become a lot better of a place than whatever we're living in right now. And if what you're living in right now is good and it's fine, imagine if you could just lean into that a little bit more and create more love for another person in their own selves because you're, they're inspired by you to be more of themselves and to find out who it is that they are and to love that parts of themselves too. So personal philosophy, I think that's a great description of what it can be for you. I'd like to make this a little bit more tangible as we drill into it, Santa. So I think we could all envision on how from a business standpoint, this could evolve into a personal brand. And I know you have a lot out there that describes it. And I encourage people to check out your website and just what you're posting on Twitter and LinkedIn. It's, it's magnificent. I'm inspired by it daily. You also then have recently started talking about evolving to a niche of one. And I'd like you to expound upon this because there are two scenarios that our audience would normally find themselves in. Scenario one, they're inside a corporate environment and they want to differentiate themselves. They want to be known for something. Now they've got boundaries and they've got a job description, but they want to be able to situate themselves in a unique space, go up the leadership tracks, be known for something special rather than just be a cog in a system. That's scenario one. Scenario two is those same people want to extend themselves out online into broader communities to be known for their passions, their interests, their unique skills. Those are both places within corporate and outside of corporate that you could develop this niche of one mindset and be known for something, monetize it, eventually earn a livelihood out of it, and most importantly, feel damn good about how you're spending your time. So given that, could you just expound a little bit on what it means to get into this niche of one space? Sure. This is one of my favorite concepts, and it is 
part of the modules in the course I'm creating, but I also created a very long in-depth article that can help people who are struggling with finding their, their niche. So most people, when they think about niche, they have a really hard time saying, I can pick one thing or I can't put myself in a box or I don't even know how to niche myself. And I think when we have these issues, right? Like it means specificity is important. Specificity, excuse me, specificity is important because we need to understand who you are, what it is that you do, what is the value that you provide. And if you do one thing, then it's easier for me to understand, always come back to you and say, oh, Matt does this one thing or you do this one thing. Great. And that's it. And it's fantastic for business because that actually helps you really segment and cut down on who is right for this service or who is not right for this service or who is right for this product versus not. And when we look at ourselves, when you look at our personal selves, it's really hard to put people in a box, right? Like you can't really put them in any type of category because that's what people do. They don't fit categories. They do for portion of or period of time but then they stop and they want to move on to something else because that's the dynamic nature of humans and so if we're trying to brand ourselves and most companies right now are looking at how to brand themselves more like humans are the future of brands is human right so what are humans doing to brand themselves? Are we trying to say that one thing is only good for us and you only want us to be known for this one thing? I think that's really unhealthy. And I think it's not really a good focus on how to present yourself to other people. Sure, if you are selling something, if you were an entrepreneur in this one thing for a period of time, by all means, that's great. And you want to be an expert in this thing, go on and do that. But for a majority of creatives, for a majority of people who are feeling like they're lacking a little bit of uniqueness in their lives, a niche of one is kind of one of those things that helps you start to look at, okay, what are the things that I'm interested in? What are the things that I'm curious about? What are the things that I'm talented at? And what are the things I can speak on? How can I combine these things in a way where I can also add my personality and my personal philosophy to this and start to actually build something that is totally my own, that I don't have to compete with anybody else with, that I can collaborate, that I can share what's actually genuine to me? What can I do? How can I combine this to make this my own thing so I can bring the market towards myself? Another way to kind of really look at this is when we establish a niche, usually we are starting to compete with other people, compete with other people in that niche. And if you are a, a creator, you don't want to compete with anybody. If you are online and you're trying to post things, or if you are trying to collaborate with team members in your organization, you're not looking to compete with anybody. You're looking to collaborate with other people. You're just looking to find like-minded people. And so competing and finding a niche is not always the best idea, this one specific way of doing things. So you think about who you are as a person, you really think about what it is that you could provide in terms of value. And you try to connect these different pieces together by finding the intersections between some of these interests and some of these talents that you have. And I, I shared frameworks in this article for people. 
And in my course, there's a lot more concreteness to it so that you can start to say, oh, well, I'm interested in comedy and fitness and crystals or, you know, like it could, I don't, it could be a bunch of different things. I'm just saying different interests for people, but you can connect these things and you can find the bridge to them because that's what creative people do. You find and connect two unseemingly uh, separate concepts or entities and you bring them together, you find a way to connect them. And that connection, if you can figure out how to do that and you and people find value in that, there is a lot of value, new value that could be created in that. And that could be something that you position yourself as and can capitalize on if you really go through the journey. It's hard work, but I think it's totally worth it if you're kind of a, if you see yourself as an individual. Mm-hmm. This is huge. Most people in their default paths in whatever career they choose, whether it's marketing or tech, finance, they feel that pressure to choose a box. And that box is like an elevator that moves them up the levels as they go. But once they've chosen that box, they're kind of committed to stay within the confines of it. But we all know, as you've said, is that we evolve as humans and we have other interests. Our our interests even wane in the things that we previously chose. We might not like finance anymore. Now we like psychology. And how do we account for that? I like that you're saying we don't have to choose a box, but we have an evolving set of interests that we need to continually account for, surface, and convey to the world. And as you're continually packaging that set of interests and skills, that creates a niche, a niche of one, right? It makes me think about what Naval Ravikant often says is you escape competition through authenticity, right? You realize that no one can compete with you being you. And once you embrace that as your guiding light, an element of your personal philosophy, that's liberating. And of course, you have to find ways to apply that, say, within a job or in an entrepreneurial sense. But it's liberating knowing that you can be you and be rewarded for it. Absolutely. And I think that we see so many people doing that right now. I mean, Naval is just one. I don't know if he's the greatest uh, example because he's just so far beyond what many people are at right now. But if you are looking to do that, you can see and take note from a ton of different creators who are leaning into creating their own niche of one. I know, I think Jack Butcher seems a little bit out of reach for most people, but he's been so inspirational to so many by just him creating his uh, visualized value tweets on Twitter. And then he created his courses based off of those. And he's kind of leaning into his next edge constantly in Web3. Uh, Same thing with Justin Welsh. I believe David Perel is another one who talks about specific knowledge that Naval Ravikant actually talks about. And that's one of the frameworks that I share in the article of what you can do. One of the one of the really great things about a niche of one is that once you start to capitalize on your own authenticity and your own uh, talents and interests and you bring that to the table, like you said, there's not much to worry about after that, but you can take the time because it does take time to build. It's just a matter of knowing, okay, a niche of one is I know this is what I want to go for. and I know this is something I want to define. So then every step that you start to take, every experiment, every post online, every action or whatever it is that you're, you're at in your business or in your organization, it all starts to filter towards this one goal of being known for your own thing. And I think that is a really cool journey to be on. 
Yeah, it's empowering. And you can see people, as you've mentioned here, that are living that very well. They're feeling very fulfilled. And of course, they have their stumbling blocks, but they're just creating from their soul and they're building a livelihood from it. And we'll certainly link to that blog post. The Niche of One is, is one of the best things I've read this entire year. So thank you for creating it. I want to get it in the hands of other people. Would you mm -hmm. mind, Senna, if we flip to a little bit of rapid fire questions? I'm all for it. Let's go. Let's go. All right. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? The best piece of advice I've ever received is probably to follow your own heart. <laughs> and it wasn't even from a business person. And you're living this. It's very clear. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, I, I have to live living, living and following your heart is probably the best advice I've ever gotten. I, I don't think that there's any way <laughs> there's nothing lead with your heart if you're if you're a leader if you're a creator if you're a thinker leading with your heart will help you out so much just so 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 much truth what about the worst piece of advice you've ever received um probably to focus on your audience uh, I know this is kind of contradictory, but this is one of the things that I feel like if you are trying to do the next cutting edge thing, um, you if you're looking at views, if you're looking at, um, and this is a, me being a little bit more specific on this, um, if you're focusing on views, if you're focusing on reach, if you're focusing on engagement, if you're focusing on all these metrics and you're not really focusing on the content and the value that you're providing and following the next thing that you're supposed to be doing, uh, you're going to get trapped really, really easily. And, uh, that's not a good, that's not a good place to be in. Ooh, I see that all the time. People have chosen that path. And I think a lot of their content is just on message. And I'm like, do you really feel so passionate that you write about it every single day? I feel like there's a disconnect between that person's energy and belief system and what they're putting to the world. I always wonder how long can someone like that go? It's a great point that you make there. Yeah. Third question I have for you. What does wealth mean to you? Success. Um, and I think that is defined by what you believe is success. So wealth building is something that I've been really, really interested in leaning in towards. And to me, success means knowing a lot of different things and being able to be free to do the things that I know I should be doing. And that could be investing, that could be, you know, saving or something. Uh, it could be it could be talking to different people. Uh, building wealth in your network is such an important thing to do. So knowing how to network with the right people is investing in your own wealth. So I, I believe that um, it, it's highly dependent upon you specifically and how you define success. But to me, wealth definitely equals success. And what's a tool, software, or product that you simply cannot live without? This is a hard one for me. You're really placing me in a tough position here. Uh, I'm going to probably say uh, Miro. I'm going to say it because it has been one of the most, um, Miro is by far like one of the most easiest apps to use. You can lay everything out. I think it's a perfect tool for creatives. It's really, really hard to beat. Yeah, it can really let your mind just flow 
and get everything out there visually to see what's going on in that noggin of yours, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I wanted to actually say obsidian, which was kind of like my, like it's the love of everything that I do, but um, Miro really helps me out creatively. Yeah. Last one for you. If you could invent one law that everyone had to follow, what would it be? Oh, man, this is a tough one. Um, I believe that if I think if it had to be a law, it would be like love yourself. That probably is the biggest one because there's so many people who don't and they do it in really odd ways. So I would love a, a good definition of what it means to love yourself. And then I would like to be like, okay, everybody, you got to go do it now or you're going to be fined. Um, I think that would be probably one of the better laws. I don't know. <laughs> I sound like a tyrant right now saying it, but, you know, I think that that could definitely help the world out uh, a, a whole lot. You're blowing my mind. Literally, that was the topic going through my head this morning as I was getting ready for the day. Like, what does it mean to love yourself? And obviously, everyone has to have their own very personal definition of what that looks like. But if you could love yourself, just imagine how much more capable you'd be, valuable to others, and then everyone expands because of it. That's awesome. So wrapping up, Santa, just a few things. I like to ask, given this is the Rising Digital Leader Show, how do you rise each day? I rise with social media, to be honest. I, I hate to say this, but I would love to wake up a little bit earlier, but my end time is late. I get a lot of creative time done in the in the late hours of the night. Probably my sleep time is 1, sometimes 2 a.m. sometimes. And I get up with social media. I get up with people talking. I get up with people having conversations. And that's exciting to me. I, I think that there's a ton of people and I appreciate their uh, input in how you should wake up calm and um, in a state of mind where it's not addicted to your phone. And I believe that I have to constantly look at you know, am I addicted to my phone right now? Am I not? But I really appreciate the conversations that people are bringing straight in the morning. They're bringing life. They're bringing force. Uh, they have conversations and polarizing things to talk about. So I wake up nowadays with social media. And what's the point of having a morning ritual, whether it's journaling, meditation, if not to bring you energy and hope for the day? And if you're getting it through great conversations, more power to you. So uh, this is a really great thing. And I believe that there should be something really specific in what it is that you do. Um, so I have a certain ritual where I take care, love my skincare routine. And I love the things that I'm doing in the morning, which is just taking care of myself and also really it, at peace with who I am. Um, that is a big thing. So I like to wake up, think about my dreams for a little bit. And I also like to just be still and, and be in gratitude and then start my day with social media. Fantastic. So you've mentioned a lot about your online presence. Where can people connect with you more online? They can connect with me. If you're listening right now, you can probably connect with me on Twitter. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm also on Instagram too. Don't always post that often over there, but I love the DM messaging, the the direct messages tool there. It's super fantastic. You can also email me. Um, check me out on my website. I am evolving to a couple of different places. That's the goal is to just see where I could evolve and where I can kind of create next and where I can 
meet new people next. So those are the few places that you can come connect with me at. Great. And we'll put it in the show notes for sure. Santa, any closing message you'd like to leave with the audience today? I had such a great time talking with you, Matt. Uh, this has been so great. And if you are looking to you know, create your own personal philosophy, you're looking to see what this could mean to you and what yours might mean for you, I would love to hear your story. I would love to connect with you. Um, and I think that you have so much value to bring in this world. If you can figure out what that is, if you can find it, if you can sharpen it, if you can actually use it with your own strategy, the world will be a much better place. So can't wait for you to grow. Can't wait to see you grow. Uh, thanks for dropping all this wisdom with us here today, Senna. It was a wonderful conversation. Looking forward to both rising together as we go here. It's really great to be here. Thanks so much, Matt. All right. Take care. We'll chat soon. This is your host, Matthew Doan. Thank you for listening to the Rising Digital Leaders Show. Again, my mission is to help you elevate your career as a digital leader and live a thriving life. I hope this episode sparks new thinking and helps you take meaningful action in your world. If you enjoyed the experience, I'd be so grateful if you subscribed and left a five-star review. That's it for now. Until next time, my friends, stay virtuous.